Hello, everyone. You're listening to In the Weeds, an agriculture podcast hosted by Monica Jean and the Michigan Field Crops team. So we are back again to In the Weeds with Monica Jean and the MSU Extension Field Crops team. And this is the promised part two to the Prairie Strip. Uh, duos podcast recordings we have created here and so I am back with the same people of course um, Fahime and Nate and what we're going to talk about today is more about prairie strips of course but some of the current research and what that research is you know alluding to um, and what current research is happening out in the field so we're going to introduce again if that's okay Hello, <laughs> my name is Fahime Baziari. I'm the MyStrips program coordinator at the Kellogg Biological Station within the Long-Term Ecological Research Program. And I'm Nate Hahn, and I'm a, a research associate in the Department of Entomology at Michigan State University. I do a lot of my research at Kellogg Biological Station, and I'm an ecologist, insect ecologist, I'm interested in insects and agriculture and conservation, and where those things all Neat. Yeah, and so we're out at KBS right now, and there's two different um, like areas of research here that where the prairie strips are located, and that's LTER and LTAR. So could you guys just talk, talk for a second about what those are and um, what the prairie strips are being looked at within both of those programs? So. Made. They're going to fight Interrupt over me which whenever one you want to. <laughs> but the, yeah, so these are two long term experiments the LTER, long term ecological research, and then LTAR, long term agroecological research. Mm-hmm. And the LTER is, oh, going into its what, 30th year? 30? We're at about, about 30 years. Um, and it's comparing several different cropping systems that range from uh, a very conventional, like full tillage, full everything amendment application, like every application you could do, down to um, organic or organic ish, um, and then everything in between. And that's been going on for a number of years. And in a couple of those treatments on the that are on the more sustainable side, about four years ago, prairie strips were added to those. So each plot in this in this array is like a, I believe it's one hectare basically running right down the middle. Now there's a line of prairie. So it's pretty cool to look at. Um, And we are now in the early to middle stages of learning about how those prairie strips affect all kinds of things in those crops. So would that be a prairie strip between, if it's a soybean field, it's between two soybean fields, or is there different things on each side of the prairie strip. How so does that... imagine a square field of soybean with okay. a strip running right okay. down the middle. Okay. And we can talk later about like, do you want this? Where do you want the strip in your field? There's probably lots of different solutions. Okay. But for this or this experiment, that's how we're okay. doing it. I just yeah. wanted to imagine that. Yep. All right. So what? Like why? <laughs> why are we doing all this? <laughs> why have a prairie strip? Yeah. They so it's it's super multifunctional. So there could be lots of different reasons. We talked in last podcast (laughs) about um, how in Iowa it was originally designed mostly with water quality in mind. 
for to have these linear elements of prairie that act like a sponge mm-hmm. and soak up water and nutrients. And kind stuff. of reminds me of the terrace draining planning you can yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, probably analogous to that. Um, but they're super multifunctional, so they're great for biodiversity conservation in general. So a landscape or a field with prairie strips in it um, is going to have more birds, more butterflies, more pollinating insects, um, more natural enemies of pests, um, all of those things. So if you're like a monarch butterfly geek, put some milkweed in there and you're going to see lots and lots of monarchs. Um, Or if you have a crop that relies on pollinators, having a mix that's heavy on plants that are going to draw in pollinators Mm -hmm. could be really good. Like our cucumber growers. Yep, yep, Mm -hmm. yep. So the reason I asked that is because I assume your research, your research and all Mm -hmm. of the research that happens is trying to quantify all of those whys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so you, I can... I can give you a general overview, yeah. but I'm, I'm only involved in some parts of it. But um, So some of the research that's going on, a lot of it in, in our LTER experiment is basically asking um, what lives, because we don't know these things yet, what lives in the strips and then does it spill out into the crop fields? So there are active studies right now looking at um, how do the nematode communities in prairie strips uh, differ from what's in the crop fields and what, and you know, does that community sort of spill over into it? Um, there are folks looking at spiders. There are folks looking at bees and butterflies. Um, and then I'm involved in a project in which we're asking if uh, predation services or the attacks that happen on, on crop pests uh, by natural enemies like predatory and parasitic arthropods, whether that um, is higher in the crops or in the prairie strips and whether it spills over into crop fields. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. It's all kind of ongoing right now. Yeah. Yeah. And so we'll talk a little bit more about yours. Um, Like what was the foundation for it? Like was there preliminary research that you kind of started with and wanted to look at more in Michigan and, you know, how are things going? Those kind of questions. Yeah. So I think we don't, we we just know are just now starting to learn, you know, what about prairie strips in Michigan, and that's part of why we we're, we're doing these experiments. But there was some really cool research that came from Iowa State University with sort of the original um, prairie strips, and I I just pulled up the abstract to one of their papers. Just read it. So <laughs> Webster's Dictionary. <laughs> so uh, anyway, they they replaced ten percent of cropland with prairie strips, and some of the things they found were, so compared with environments containing only crops, the um, areas with had prairie strips integrated into them had um, 2.6-fold more insect diversity, 3.5-fold more pollinator abundance, um, 2.1-fold more native bird uh, species richness or number of species. Um, same thing with birds that were of like high conservation value, um, water runoff reduced, was reduced by 37%. So mm-hmm. that's huge. Um, and it resulted in the retention of 20 times more soil. So that's a lot of different things. <laughs> Very yeah. multifunctional. Yeah. Um, so that's all, that was all really promising. And then we wanted to know, okay, what about, what about Michigan? What else can we learn? Yeah. yeah. Did they find in there that, um, that 
that farm was able to reduce like their insecticide or they sound, saw less occurrences of maybe pest issues or anything? You know, I don't know about that. And if your answer is no, I can cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not, you can leave it in, but I'm, I'm not totally sure okay. on that one. No. Good, I put you on the spot. Um, so uh, moving into kind of like, I guess, pesticide stuff is management. So I'm assuming... Um, you neonicotinoids that we would see on our like planting, you know, coating on our seeds or um, depending on the crop we're growing, maybe later treatments even. I'm sure there's like issues or cautions that you need to advertise if you're considering doing this along field of edge or. Yeah. And yeah, neonics are, they move around a lot either because the powder seed coat blows in the wind or because they are in the soil and then they move around with water. So there is the possibility, and I think it's something that we're still learning about, like when it is and isn't a thing, uh, mm-hmm. but there's a possibility that neonics will one way or another end up in a prairie strip. And you don't want that to happen, right? Because then uh, if you're trying to bring in pollinators, but the prairie strip plants have taken up neonics, um, then their nectar could be toxic. So we don't want that. Um, and I think the best ways to avoid that right now are to understand how neonics might move in your particular mm-hmm. context, right? So if you know that there's a lot of water movement from the field towards a certain area, then yeah. that would not be the place <laughs> to, Don't put it there. to put your prairie strip okay. because it might be a bit of a trap. Okay. Um, and then, you know, just minimizing the amount of dust that's, well, I think that's just a generally good practice probably, right? But um, yeah, minimize on the other end, too, when you're with herbicide use, if you're trying to establish a prairie, uh, making sure to look at residual times um, of the herbicide because you could reduce the establishment um, if you're trying to plant. So you might not get all the species you put into the prairie. Yeah. Anymore, so. yeah, we have a lot of technology available to us, and planning is important, and I think we discussed that a bit in the other one because uh, there's a lot of interactions. When you're talking about an ecosystem scale, um, sometimes we just think about the bushels. So it's a little bit different approach and we just have to plan for that. So um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about in the research you've read about or your, that your colleagues are doing or yourself, um, if you have, if you guys have found um, just like plant species, beneficial insects or a promotion of pests, kind of um, what that could look like in the field, depending on what you have planted or, or what you're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. So why don't we tackle the pest yeah. question first? So I think that is maybe a criticism or a suspicion that some people have. Why would I want to integrate habitat into my crop field that what if it's just going to fill up with pests and then those are going to cause a problem? And I will say that in a lot of research in which we're looking at, you know, different kinds of native grassland habitats, um, they, yeah, they have some herbivores in them for sure. Things, you know, bugs that eat plants. And some of those bugs that eat plants could also eat your crop. But at the same time, um, they're, they're promoting a lot of complexity. So yeah, there, there are some herbivores, but there's also a lot of things that eat those herbivores. So, um, it, it can often be in balance. Um, I think the bigger concern is 
in a, like a totally denuded landscape where there isn't habitat for beneficial insects to keep pests at low levels, mm -hmm. that's when you get like big outbreaks that actually cause economic damage. And then and a larger imbalance. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I th I'm an advocate for, you know, complexity that comes with, yeah. you know, having a, having a functional food web. Um, some things that eat plants and then a lot of things that eat the things that eat plants to yeah. keep them well, down at manageable levels. It seems like that research showed that the complexity had a lot of positive benefits yeah, that you yeah. cited earlier. So, yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Is there any other, like, competing, you know, issues that maybe we haven't discussed yet? Oh, I don't know. I, I think um, it's it's really cool to think about. You can tailor this to your own interests, right? So if you want to have pollinators and that's your main thing um, or you're excited about butterflies um, we can I can provide some lists of uh, plant species that are that are that you could tailor your mix to include that are really great for bees or really great for butterflies mm -hmm. or really great for bringing in natural enemies of crop pests or all of the above so there's been some cool MSU research in past years in which uh, researchers basically, experimentally planted a whole bunch of native plant species that would be great for prairie strips and then um, screened them by like sucking off all the insects they could find on their leaves and stuff with a leaf blower that's running in reverse going through and, and inventorying them. So we really know like wow. some plants are total insectary, you know, insect magnets and others are, yeah. are not so much. And we figure that out. So, okay. So yeah. if you had like this, I don't know, my my name is or my mind is blanking on a specific name for an insect. But if you had insect A that you really were struggling with, then maybe insect there's a beneficial for it that you have a plant that attracts that beneficial one or something. Like you could Yeah, look to at some that. extent. I mean okay. the plants tend to bring in they they won't bring in like just one species. Yeah. They'll bring in a lot of different stuff. But yeah, you could you could tailor your prairie strip to have a lot of parasitoids in it if you really wanted to have have that or if, if you know if you really wanted lady beetles or yeah. you really wanted whatever, to some extent you could do yeah, that. Yeah. Choose, no, you're going to get other things, that. but you could look for those. Cool. That's really cool. Where and where is that at? How does a person do that? Um, so I guess I can just give you like, there's a very user-friendly publication that came cool. out that I could we'll give put you the post link. on your Yes. Website. Yep. We'll yeah. include that yeah. with us. That sounds great. Yep. Um, do you have any other strategies for like prairie strip integration into the landscape? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question because again, going back to Iowa, they had really hilly landscapes and they were putting prairie strips along the contours of the hills. And that's not really the case in Michigan. Mm -hmm. So some people might say, actually, that works pretty well for me because I'm on a hilly property or whatever. Um, other folks, it, it's flat, right? So they might be thinking, I don't. I, I've talked to some growers who say, I don't want to put a linear prairie through the middle of my field because that messes up all my tractor logistics and everything. I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but they were super open to putting a strip along the edge of the field. Um, or um, in other cases, they said, well, I actually have these like smaller subfields that are like three acres or whatever. And I'm pretty sure I'm losing money on them every year anyway. So I'm going to just convert that to prairie. Precision so that's not prairie. really a prairie strip. It's yeah. just a, a field that you retire into prairie, which is cool too. Um, and then finally, I think there's some really interesting potential that's coming up with precision agriculture. So if a grower is using like spatially explicit yield monitoring, they can build a profitability map of a field. And then 
uh, market out into zones where this part of the field, I make money on it every, every year. Then there's probably some unstable zones that are good some years and bad other years. Um, and then there might be other areas that are just like consistently underperforming and they're just actually losing money on that every year. And that's a great area to think about converting to prairie. And it, it might be strip shaped or it might be like more of a prairie, a prairie blob. We don't know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Some other things to consider too is like, um, to like try to think of like where you can maximize your production in your land. And that can be also in within conservation areas. So pivot, uh, pivot corners oh, yeah. and turn rows are great spots because you can drive, um, within prairies to a limited extent, but when you're farming, you can, you can use those spaces to put prairie in. <laughs> but another, I, another thought is people are looking into grazing prairies. So, oh. um, that is still information that people are looking into, but um, Bob could graze during the mowing times instead, something like that. Interesting. Okay. People are looking into it. I think that's <laughs> one thing we started with, Nate, you mentioned is like, this is just the beginning because this is technically the first year they're full prairie. Yeah. Well, so the prairie strips in our experiment, in the LTER experiment, this is their fourth year. And like we were talking about with prairie establishment, it takes three or four years before mm -hmm. you're looking at something that really resembles a prairie. So yeah. we've been collecting data on, you know, all these different organisms and how they're affected by prairie strips and whether they spill over into crop fields and stuff for a maximum of like this is, you know, three or four years. And so we're just now, you know, these things take time. So we're, we're just learning. Okay. And we, we had talked about the LTAR, the long-term yeah. agro ecosystem research project. So that one has, is much larger fields and they have multiple prairie strips. And then some of the unproductive areas within those fields have been planted into prairie as well. So there's like blocks of prairie and strips. Um, those were just seeded this spring. So right now they just, they're basically just a nurse crop of oats and that's really all you see okay. but that's going to be a really cool opportunity to learn at larger spatial scales yeah what prairie strips do to well from my perspective what they do to insect communities because that's what i'm most excited about but that and lots of other things cool is there any last thing or resource we missed you would like to mention either one of you actually well if anybody would like to see the prairie strips in the lter or ar uh, we do provide tours so okay. if you're like, I just kind of want to see what this looks like, um, contacting through our LTER webpage, um, you can find our outreach coordinator, Liz Schulteis, um, and we can give a tour. All right. Did you have any last comments? Oh, I highly recommend the tour. It's, yeah. You kind of have to, if you're, if you're not familiar with like what prairies look like, uh, they're super cool. They're very aesthetically appealing. There's bees, there's butterflies, there's flowers, uh, there, people love them. So do, do take the chance to, to come check it out if you haven't. Yeah, we didn't even talk about how the beauty may be a benefit for your neighbors on a farm, because I'm sure there's a, a aesthetic like reasons. You can also um, on our, uh, look at the MyStrips webpage for more information and find my contact information if you need resources. If you just want to, if you have a few questions, I can ask, ask, answer them for you. Uh, but I can even connect you to um, seed dealers, um, help you just navigate the planning, um, and whatever, whatever, however I can assist. I'm, I'm yeah. here to help you. Yeah. 
And if you just happen to find this podcast, there is a planning podcast that kind of went along with this where Fahimi dives into that more. So, all right. Well, with that, I think this is a wrap. Cool. Thank you both for coming. I really appreciate it. Thank you. This podcast has been brought to you by the MSU Extension Field Crops Team. For more podcasts or information, please visit us at canr.msu.edu backslash field underscore crops. Thanks for listening.